So good. Right. So good. You want to jump into episode 55? Let's do it. All right. So episode 55, today we are talking about enrichment. And um, I'm I'm excited for this one, especially after we just had that interview with Lori. And it kind of made me step back and try to find ways to provide enrichment. And uh, today we're going to kind of be talking about different ways that you can do that with your snakes, whether it's inside of the enclosure, outside the enclosure, and maybe some unorthodox ways that you guys haven't heard of before. But yeah, Nathan. Yeah, just with how intelligent these animals are and, you know, how much they move, again, kind of going back to the episode with Lori, but uh, it just makes you consider what else we can provide for them. So, yeah, let's jump into it. Yeah, and, like, first and foremost, I also just kind of want to say, like, by no means are me, and I think I can even speak for Nathan here, like, I don't, like, we are not the, like, perfect example of, like, providing an amazing amount of enrichment for our animals. It's kind of like a work in progress. We're learning more about it and starting to implement it. Um, So there's stuff that we've done throughout our keeping. That is a good example of ways to enrich your animals. So, I I mean, yeah, we're, we're definitely adding to it uh, as we learn and kind of grow, especially through this podcast. But uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's kind of talk about it. But before, um, just want to shout out our Patreon community. Make sure you join uh, patreon.com slash the retic lounge. Um, and then also uh, we have our 1000 subscriber giveaway on YouTube. So make sure you're subscribed there. Uh, hit that notification bell. So you know that when we're posting episodes and you can stay updated on this, but we're under 200 people away from uh, hitting that one K. So subscribe today and we'll, get you entered into the VivTech giveaway that has over $300 worth of their product. All right. So before we even jump into like different ways to enrich, like first and foremost, I kind of want to give like a little disclaimer. If like you keep retics um, or, or you haven't kept retics, whatever the case may be, I think it's important that like we've, we've talked about the, the social aspect of retics and intelligence that retics have. Um, retics are actually very social animals. Um, they'll come out of their cages Um, they are explorative animals. They like to move around. So keep in mind that if you keep retics, you haven't really been providing a lot of enrichment. You're listening to this episode and you decide to try. Um, once you give your snake, like if you use enrichment out of the enclosure, once you give your snake that taste of freedom, and if you do it consistently, the snake is going to want to continue to do that. Um, and if you end up getting busy or you, uh, you know, stop doing it for whatever reason, that snake is likely going to try to get out of the enclosure. And one of the behaviors that we kind of identify as a snake trying to get out is pushing. The, um, the end all be all problem for every retic keeper out there because we all experience it. Right. Um, so with, with that, if you are going to take them out, let them explore, take them outside or give them a separate snake room, um, that snake is probably going to want to do that very frequently because they they know what's out there. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I, I mentioned this before, I think, on, on Lori's uh, interview, but we have a Patreon member who snake just pushes a bunch um, and, you know, is temperatures are on point. The the feeding is, is fine. Um, even but pushing days. Comfortable spot. 
he, he yeah. knows where he wants to go and it's not inside that enclosure and like we're talking about these snakes are intelligent and you know they're gonna fight for what they want and, and if that's outside the enclosure and something they get often yeah we're you're gonna run into some of these issues yeah uh so let's jump in and talk a little bit about um I don't know. I mean, so, so right off the bat, like what, what are some ways that, that you are providing enrichment? Uh, so I think the very first thing that anyone can do, uh, regardless of space, uh, restrictions, let's say you're living in an apartment complex with these animals, you can't take them outside or anything like that. Take them outside of the enclosure, let them explore the room that they're in. And mm-hmm. let them explore their surroundings. Yeah. So just get them out of their everyday norm. That's step one with enrichment. Exactly. Not just confiding that snake to its enclosure and not even changing anything up in that enclosure. I agree. Taking taking my snakes out, um, the opportunity to take them inside the house, let them explore, handle them, you know, go all over the sofa, whatever the case may be. Um yeah. And I, there's I th- so many little ways to do it with little work on your end, honestly. Right. I and mean, even just changing the way or the furniture in their enclosure goes a long yeah. way. So like hides. Yeah. You can use normal black hides. You can buy, you know, wooden hives. You can use sky hides, cardboard boxes. Um, just about anything, right? And cork bark, yeah. I mean, pre-made wood hides. There's, yeah, you name it. And you know, it's not, you know, the the black plastic hides that we all use. Like, don't don't always correlate. I think it's important that we don't correlate enrichment with like expensive or natural or fancy. That's not the case. Um, I guess what I'm referring to as far as defining enrichment is providing mental stimulation for your retic. You are introducing something um, to your retic or you're introducing your retic to a different environment that is allowing that retic's brain to activate, to fire its neurons, to think, to explore, to smell. Um, that That's what enrichment to me is. Um, yeah, so even Problem solving a little bit. Right, right. Even if you use the black eyes. Um, yeah. It's, it's, that's a form of enrichment. What, what I typically recommend if you're using the black hides every once in a while, like take it out, put something else in there. Um, try to find ways to, to just keep that snake from seeing something new in its environment. But, um, so hides definitely provide more than just like the safety function. Like we talked about in our hides video. Um, and that was something that I've kind of really just recently, you know, doing a little bit more digging in myself and in retics, as far as enrichment goes, um, you know, I use hides mainly as a source of security, but now that I'm realizing, you know, the enrichment aspect of it, um, yeah, even for your larger animals, if you can put a larger hide in there, definitely a form of enrichment. Yeah. And you mentioned just putting stuff in the hide with my sky hides. I love putting sphagnum moss in the hide itself and using it as like a humid kind of cave setup for them. Right. I'll find them hanging out in there all the time. So, yeah, my sky hide, I use Rutti chip and I spray it down. Yeah. Same idea. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, speaking on that, definitely different type of hides, uh, as far as like, not just the shape or the color or whatever, but you know, humid hides, um, burrowing hides, hides that just lay on the paper of the enclosure. Um, so many different ways that you can implement that in your snakes enclosure. And again, none of these have to be permanent. And as a matter of fact, as far as enrichment goes, it would probably advise against permanency and switching things up every once in a while. Yeah, that even just that small switch in their setup forces them to reassess their situation and use their brain a little bit, which at the basic level is some form of enrichment for that animal. It's having to right. think, it's having to process. Right. Now, something that I never even thought about, but someone kind of recently shared some information with me, but the the idea that like, the substrate you use in your enclosure can be a form of enrichment. And I was like thinking like, well, how is that? But um, anytime that, that a snake is feeling or touching like a new sensory experience, right? Like if if your snake has been on paper, um, like a lot of mine have in the past for a long time, and then you decide to throw in uh, Aspen or mulch, you know, that, that snake is now, cruising around on different texture, you know, different temperature. Um, There's a lot of like sensory stimulation that's going on when you change the type of substrate. Oh yeah. If you don't believe Lucas and you've never taken your retic outside for some reason, oh my go, go take your retic outside today. Just, just do me a favor, go outside today, put it in the grass and tell me what that snake does in terms of assessing what's (laughs) happening around it because the second it touches the grass it's like trying to figure out what the hell it's in i i have i have one snake um it's uh which one is it it's my male philippine that like cannot stand the texture as soon as i put him down he starts like arching his body up to like not touch as much as the grass um and it takes him nuzzle their face right um, yeah. And what's also cool is when you, you, you know, I, I noticed even when I switched over to Aspen, like the snakes, I'd put them back in the enclosure and rather than them just kind of going in on their own, like they normally do, like a lot of them just like stopped and just started flicking their tongue. And again, that's, that's that thinking that enrichment process that we're looking for. And yeah, I mean, so many different applications and ways that you can use substrate. If you, if you change it up and go to like a soil place sand base they they now have the opportunity to burrow um and uh you know burrowing is a whole form of different type of you know they're accessing part of what they think didn't exist in the enclosure which obviously it did they were on the floor if they were on paper but um yeah i'm i'm actually excited with the the female i'm getting from you nathan um because she's tiny i bet she's like what two months old yeah, she well, three months old. So still super tiny, little bit of size on her now, but I mean, still fits in the palm of your hand. Yeah. And Lucas, I'll, I'll let you tell them about the setup. But when I saw it, I was like, all right, uh, that that's a lot. But <laughs> I mean, it's set up perfect for how you're going to do such a small snake in such a big enclosure. Whether you're just getting into retics or you've been breeding for years, the first place you want to visit is Stewart Design. More and more breeders keep showing up at shows, on Morph Market, and are all over social media. 
Sometimes it may feel possible to get anyone's attention. Stewart Designs helps small businesses like yours do big things through brand clarity, helping entrepreneurs to start and scale businesses that are easy to know and love. Their work can help any company or industry, but they've done a ton of work for ours. Stewart Design created the brands for US Arc, Canova, Reach Out Reptiles, Coiled, and dozens of other well-known reptile breeders. Like many of us, the owner of Stewart Design, Blake, is a keeper and breeder who fell in love with retics through first working with Garrett Hartle. Although Stewart Design does a lot of corporate work, Blake has a passion for working with people in the reptile industry. Stewart Design can help if you're just getting started or you're ready to take things to the next level, you're struggling to stand out and build your presence online or at shows, you don't want to be like the other guys or get lost in the crowd, and you want to make your own way doing what you love. And also, you have big ideas and know your business is special, but you need help sharing it with the reptile community. If something here resonates with you, reach out to Blake and have a conversation. To learn more or get started, visit stewartdesignbrands.com or call them at 855-SD-LOGOS. Clear brands own markets. Stuart Design helps create them. If you are in the market for an enclosure for your reticulated python or any other one of your reptiles, Focus Cubed Habitats is your one-stop shop for not only the best-looking cages on the market, but also provide amazing features and add-ons to your cages. We partnered with Focus Cubed Habitats because they continue to innovate and change the way we house our animals unlike any other caging company out there. Their cages are designed intelligently and provide the most stylish and secure housing for your animal's comfort and well-being. Visit focuscubedhabitats.com for your animal's caging needs. Again, visit focuscubedhabitats.com for some amazing and stylish enclosures. We also want to thank VivTech Products for being an affiliate sponsor of the Retic Lounge. Stop by VivTech Products for the best UV spectrum lighting on the market that will enhance and improve your snake's overall well-being and health. Visit VivTechProducts.com and use the code RETICLOUNGE23 today for 15% off. Again, visit VivTechProducts.com and use our affiliate code RETICLOUNGE23 today for 15% off. Looking for the perfect accessories for your hatchlings or juvenile retics? Look no further than Heli Guy Serpents. Our sponsor, Chris Sexton, is coming in hot with an amazing 3D printer, creating top-notch perches and other caging accessories for your beloved pets. Enrich your retics environment with their high-quality products. Use our promo code TRL10 for a 10% discount on your purchase. Visit them today at heliguyserpents.com and start giving your pets the best. Heli Guy Serpents, the premier source for 3D printed caging accessories. Again, that's www.heliguyserpents.com and use our promo code TRL10 for 10% off all of your 3D printed accessories today. Right. So I, I'm putting this animal. So I have the five foot long ARS racks um, and I'm slowly getting my, my, males out of there into enclosures as I'm getting new ones. And I'm going to, instead of, I was thinking about selling the rack, but instead of selling it, what I'm going to be doing for like holdbacks or small animals that I buy like Nathan's is I'm turning them into like naturalistic and, and or AKA bioactive, but um, it's got a 
uh, Josh's Frog's tropical, you know, bioactive setup. And um, there are three huge pieces of wood in there, a big water bowl, leaf litter. Um, and there is, uh, there are hollowed cork, uh, you know, wood barks that, you know, the snake, basically I, I've set them up in a way where the snake can literally go down into the substrate, but in the cork part to hide in, it can hide under a large branch. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was thinking when I was setting this up and I put it in there and then I was like, oh man, she's only three months. I was like, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Cause it's huge. Yeah. I, I can't wait to hear, you know, how she reacts to it all and how she settles in. Uh, I think that'll be the real test. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, substrate for those of you that never thought substrate could be enriching, um, switch your substrate up. You know, if you have it on paper, just maybe for a month, put it on RepTiChip. Um, go back to paper, then for a month, buy another type of bedding. And again, those are like minimally invasive ways to to provide enrichment. It's just changing the type of bedding that you can provide for the animal. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of paper bedding. I do a lot of maintenance cleaning and even just going as far as doing something like indented or uh, corrugated paper roll goes a long way in just providing that textural support that yeah. Lucas is talking about. Since we were on the topic of like the, the setup that I have for your animal, I think let's talk about like wood, right? Um, and just like putting branches or something in your, your snake's cage. Like you don't even have to buy the stuff at the store. You can get it from outside. Just bake it, um, bake it or, or boil it. Um, but you know, texture, I think it's important and, um, just throwing in different wood pieces or even like a rock, like just get a big rock <laughs> and provide it like a scratchy hard surface to smell and explore. Yeah. Uh, wood subs, uh, substitutes, even if you don't want, you know, something porous and natural in your enclosure, like, you know, me, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I will be doing it for that one animal, but, you know, just having the option of different kind of perches or climbing options, whether that be PVC, whether that be uh, the carbon little uh, perches that places like Focus Cube put out. Those are yeah. great options for just adding a little bit more to your enclosure. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I, I actually, I respect your husbandry and just the cleanliness and the surgical precision, because a lot of people say the same thing you do, like in terms of like, Oh, I just like it to look neat and clean, but like they won't replace paper for like eight to 10 days. And it's all jumbled, has dry piss on it and shit on it. But like, I've, I've like Nathan has, has, FaceTime me while his his female was in the lay box or or whatever and he's like sorry the cage is dirty and it's like where <laughs> like where is it dirty hey sometimes there's some urate stains like if it's just a small pee from like one of the smaller males or like a small female and it's not a big deal then you know I'll let it go until I see the the poo that's coming a day or two later right have, have you i'm cleaning it <laughs> so have you ever um when it, when it comes to like enrichment inside of the enclosure um have you ever switched decor up switched places where you put hides or have you like 
So like, that's something that I've never like intentionally done that I think I'm going to start. I've spent way too much money on like big wood pieces. And I think I'm just going to start rotating them in cages and just placing them in there for a couple weeks. But I, I not something that I've ever done before. I, I've, you had experience doing that and like what the reactions were? Yeah. So I've done big wood pieces. Um, problem I ended up having with those was the bigger animals were, uh, you know, just gripping onto them and dragging them around the enclosure. So <laughs> messing up the paper and then just peeing on the plastic. So, um, that didn't last very long. Uh, I've done, this was actually Chris from Heli Guy Serpents, one of our sponsors. He helped me with some PVC perches back in the day. Um, just, you know, expanded PVC board and just PVC parts put together to form a little bit of a perch, kind of a hide, and just a little bit of, you know, just added height, added room in the enclosure was kind of the idea behind it. Right. Um yeah, I think I'm going to intentionally start to introduce and then remove and try to just keep that different. But yeah, I just well, I'll the head up like water bowl to the other side and, you know, just like switching up right. where everything is at too. Oh, I, I do that all the time. Actually, yeah. every single time I take a hideout to clean in a water bowl, um, uh, I, I'd never put them in the same place. Um, and, and I don't know why I even did that. That, that definitely was not like enrichment in mind. That was just like me, like, Oh, let me just put it over here and see what the trying, snake does trying to get the feng shui right right exactly just trying to play around with it but um yeah i think i'm i'm a lot more open to those kind of things and just making small changes incrementally removing them putting them back in um i feel like that's easy on us but oh i was gonna say something that i remember if you guys do put wood in the enclosures or like a big rock or stone um you know, I just a heads up, you know, we're doing that for the animals, right? For enrichment. But um, anytime that you're getting a retic out of an enclosure um, and they kind of move away from you, you know, you got to clean them. Anything that you have in there, they're going to grip um, and try to not come out. So just a heads up, um, even with things like that, that those PVC shelves that Nathan uses, I got the same ones from Chris and um, getting my mail layer out uh, is a nightmare with that shelf in there. <laughs> Yeah, there's a reason that they're not in there most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So any other type of um, uh, things that we can do inside the enclosure uh, that uh, you... Well, I think that brings me to the next big thing that I've noticed with my retics over the years. Um, my, my first establishing animals, they loved water more than anything hmm. i noticed that from hatchlings to all the way to adult uh my purple she'll sit in water for you know half a day and really enjoy it especially right after filling up her water dish um and then <laughs> right after a big meal but my annery before a shed will lay in her water dish submerged for oh a good two three days sometimes that's freaking awesome um really cool yeah i think being able to provide different size water bowls um providing a place where they can soak is without a doubt a form of enrichment um oh, and a place where they can like fully submerge too so yeah. when they start getting bigger that's also part of having 
you know, a large enough enclosure to be able to enrich these animals. It needs, in my mind, to have a large enough reservoir for that animal to completely submerge. Yeah. And I think what's in just another side note, if, if, you know, you have a larger enclosure, uh, with a large place for the snake to kind of submerge, um, you know, when you buy an enclosure, maybe get that substrate dam a little higher just to make sure that the water, if it comes out or overflows, doesn't it will. leak. Yeah, it will. It will. Uh, it will happen. You'll have to be able to dial in your water levels for displacement and all of that as they age. But, uh, or even just, you know, like Lucas said, when you're trying to get a retic out, whatever it can grab in the enclosure, it will, including the water bowl. So right. sometimes that's just going to, spill and that's a, a lot of water to clean up yeah and so aside from like a large soaking bowl like i mean even changing the type of water bowls up um small then big medium um also changing the elevation so like if you have shelves um i've used sometimes smaller water bowls and i've added it and i put it on the back shelf and then you know it's funny i'll, I'll see that um when was that uh my wild caught Kalatoa when she was gravid um, in 2021, I noticed that I like never saw her drinking water. Um, and so I decided to put a smaller water dish on the opposite end of the shelf and saw her drinking from there several times. Um, and so like just adding another water bowl or even just adding the size and where you put it, or if you have the ability to, uh, put like a PVC pipe across as like a, 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 a perch and then get one of those, um, deli cup, uh, the, the so focus cube, one of our sponsor sells them, I think as hydro claws, but they're basically like these, uh, uh, plastic mounts that you put on purchase that hold the water container. So that way it has elevated water, has water on the floor. Um, I would love that. If my male didn't keep pulling down his perches. Mine did at first for a while. And um, for some reason, she hasn't done that in because when I got the focus cube enclosure for the experiment, I didn't get the hydro claw. And then I realized I was like, I kind of want one up there. I got it. And um, I will say this when I got it and I started using it, I have not seen that perch come off. Maybe that little bit of weight helps. Yeah. I'm going to have to get one and test it out. It reminds me that we're uh, just about due to update everyone on how our uh, experiment's going. Yeah. Um, also, what's cool about those hydroclaw things is that they have like a little, um, they have one that has a square that's cut into it that you can put a sensor push. Yeah, I've seen Sensor that. on them. So I, I have all that for that the enclosure with the Halmahera. So I have the inside temperatures. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. But anyways, um, so I, do you mind me? I kind of want to just ask you like what, how's, we don't have to go into like full detail about the experiment, but we actually haven't talked about your animal in, in there and what, what, like what phase are you still on and what are you observing? I'm kind of just curious. So phase two, just with uh, paper substrate still, he uh, has his FivTech light on for eight hours a day. Um, at first, I well, I guess I don't want to really give any too much detail because I know we're going to be going into this soon. But um, 
been noticing some different levels of activity. Um, I introduced the sphagnum moss to his sky hides because it's just Utah. It's dry here. So uh, just to combat some of his bad sheds, uh, I felt like that was kind of stepping towards the naturalistic part of the next uh, part of the experiment. But I felt like it was, you know, necessary enough that I, I could get away with it. I'm not going full naturalistic yet. Yeah. And I mean, on top of that, it's uh husbandry comes first. If it's drying the enclosure, you, you got to do something to add humidity. Yeah, um, I you can't... know, I, Oh, never mind, never mind. That's also information I'm going to save for the next episode. Okay. So, um, all I can say, I mean, since you're withholding a lot of information, I'll do the <laughs> same with mine, but I am on the final phase of naturalistic enclosure, um, or what some people call bioactive. I call it naturalistic. Um, I don't have any plants, live plants in there. Um, I have a, a soil mix that I used and some isopods and springtails. And uh, just before we started uh, recording this episode, I checked in the enclosure and I see them eating away at the snake shed. So that's really cool to see. Um, you know, and, and there definitely has been a very noticeable change in the snake's uh, behavior. Uh, and I think it's directly in regards to the wood branches and things that I put in there um, that that I thought were pretty surprising and, and cool to see. Um, so we'll, we'll definitely do an update um, here very soon so that you guys aren't like, oh, that was lame. And then we don't update you for a month, but we'll do an update. And um, yeah, I, I will say that from my perspective, at least since we're on the topic of enrichment, this naturalistic setup with the real wood in the enclosure um, it has been really amazing to, I mean, so amazing that I literally just made an ARS rack bioactive or naturalistic. So, um, I'm, I'm really loving it. Uh, you know, kudos to those that are able to do it for their larger retakes. One day I hope to be able to. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like live plants with larger, larger retakes is, you know, something that really miss. needs to be work on. Worked <laughs> little on shoddy. <laughs> damn near impossible. So, you know, I, I would like to see that be something that we could improve on. But I feel like if you, you were to go that route, you would have to have like large, heavy rooted plants. So you'd have to plan this enclosure like, you know, years in advance. Yeah. Um, I'm already in the like planning process of, you know, uh, when we move, you know, I want to build a, a you know, a garage, like 2000 square feet and want to keep the same number of animals, bigger enclosures with like also like a walk-in. And so I'm already kind of designing and, and looking into, I talked to Scott who we've had on the podcast before about the naturalistic stuff and his recommendations. So I'm, I'm like in the really pre, pre, pre planning because that's still probably about three years out, but, um, fun to fantasize every once in a while. Oh, yeah. I mean, to have a large viv in the middle of your house and be able to just like walk around and see all sides of your retic enclosure. I think that's that'd be know, so my, freaking cool. My dream. Uh, but let, let's get back into enrichment a little bit, even though that's uh, some future enrichment ideas. 
Right. Uh, one thing that I think gets overlooked a lot, but maybe not so much now that we've been talking about it with Lori, with Duran, but uh, feeding enrichment. Yeah. So in my opinion, feeding your snake, your, well, your retic, I can't, you know, I don't have tremendous amount of experience with a lot of other species, but I can confidently say from my observation, as far as like mental stimulation, <laughs> that's their most, that's, stimulated. that's the highest, like that is the highest form of enrichment that you can provide is feeding your retic, right? So, um, I had a breeder once tell me that they intensely feed even their mainlands, smaller meals more frequently because it's enriching. It, it stimulates their brains. Um, it activates those neurotransmitters, you know, whatever it is that's going on. Um, that that's all part of feeding, but, um, there's also like some creative ways that feeding can be a part of enrichment. Um, Nathan, you want to touch on that? Yeah. I want to get into the most basic one right off the bat, which is just tongs and dangling the food item. Right. So that's just, you know, providing that sense of movement of a prey item in front of the snake, stimulating it to think that there's something alive in front of it and going after the meal. Right. So literally just the wiggle. Like, I mean, if any of you have bred retics and you've hatched babies, you, you, you've probably spent hours doing this Ball enticing. Right. <laughs> exactly. So uh, it's also a big thing with green tree Python keepers. Like there's literally videos of people teaching you like methodical, like very specific movements. Um, so that that's definitely a form of my people. <laughs> I I want to I want to say something that I want to like just you know before I get ran over by a bus by listeners that hear this um I, I there's this idea that like so typically what we think about feeding retics is you know we put the food on the tongs we open the enclosure we put it in front of their face they strike it they wrap it and do that but what if with supervision, you had someone with you. You allowed that snake to come out of its enclosure. So you you enticed the snake and kept moving it back to come further out, further out, further out, kind of like hunting and trying to stalk it. Um, if that's not what you normally do and you start doing that, you know, once every three, four feedings, that's a form of mental stimulation and enrichment is you're changing the way that that snake is having to earn its food, right? Instead of just it laying there and you throwing food up into its mouth, now it's actually being stimulated to chase something. Um, now I say use supervision because if you have a big retic and it comes out of the enclosure and it bites and it wraps up, like you got to get that snake back into its enclosure. One time I had a snake lunge so far out and bite and wrap. And then by the time that I was able to pick it up and move it back into the enclosure, I realized when I picked it up that the snake was no longer biting the rabbit <laughs> and yeah. was, was looking at me. So you know, even sometimes just the touch after an animal knows that it has a prey item in its mouth, right. it can think that you're coming after its food. I've had a male go off right after just trying to pick him up for a second to just toss him back after just popping out of the enclosure right and yeah refocused on me i had to wait 30 minutes you know play the yeah. hook and tong gang 
to get the prey item again and then refeed them. So I'm sure that was plenty of uh, enrichment for him that night. But right. I, I mean, yeah, I, even just like a happy medium there is, I've, I feel like I've done this for a long time with my animals, but just letting them get out as far as they can reach with that first like half of their body before they strike. They love just kind of approaching and stalking that animal for a minute before they take it. Right. Um, and I, I feel that like, you know, as, as breeders, right. We, we definitely get into a routine of habit of being efficient, right. Because efficiency is kind of a necessary thing when you have a few retakes and, you know, um, but you know, that, that aspect of using feeding as a, as a form of enrichment, like take advantage of that food response. Um, you know, Lori talked about in our episode that we did, um, or maybe it was after the episode where we, we debrief more, but like, like feeding mazes, like put, put the, put the feeder in a, in a box with a little hole in it and see if the snake is able to go in and find it and eat it. Um, you know, you can, uh, I mean, there's so many different ways that you can get creative, but still maintain your safety to, to encourage the snake to try to explore and, you know, not just take its food off the tongs in its face like like normal. Scent trails are a good example of that. Just, you know, dragging the prey item along if you can uh, on the ground of the enclosure. Let's say if you're able to get the enclosure open before that animal's keyed in on feeding. It's a great idea to just lead the animal out with a little bit of a scent trail, place the animal down and see if it'll hunt the item out. Right. Um, Nathan, let me ask you, do you hear the train in the background? No. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, now you do. Okay. I just, I want to make sure I was muting myself off and on. And anyways, um, yeah. So, so whether you guys have ever considered it or not, feeding is definitely a form of enrichment that you can definitely utilize and, um, utilize it to your advantage. Because again, these snakes are, are always willing to eat and you can definitely encourage and engage your snake in, uh, like non-traditional ways of, of obtaining their, their food. And then I think one way that we'd probably, it just came to mind is, is switching up prey items right? Absolutely. Again, a big part of enrichment is textures. Um, but now we're adding another sensory experience, which is also taste and, you know, digestion. And, um, we, we've preached this, but switch your, your snakes, prey items. Um, you know, go quail, go rabbits, go pigs, go rats, go guinea pigs. Um, and, and, you know, ice reptilings, whatever whatever, right? Just something different, something new, something where the snake is like, whoa, what is this? I think like just one more thing that I can think of like inside an enclosure. We talked about like wood and other decor, but like, what about, I mean, even like plants, like live plants, even fake plants. Yeah. Like I said earlier, I mean, I'd like to see some improvement on, or some you know, more sturdy plants that can take a, a larger retake, a sub-adult to adult. Um, but definitely fake plants. Uh, 
you know, fake rock walls, the backing that you see in some enclosures like Spencer from Coiled, uh, that that kind of stuff's great. Um, fake vines, that kind of thing that provide a naturalistic look, uh, right. but also some functionality. I think that's great. Yeah. And if you guys have any other enclosure type of forms of enrichment, just put it in the comments. Um, even now on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, we have a, a feedback part. Go ahead and drop those comments on there. Not not just for us, but anyone else watching and going through the comments. Uh, if you guys have any good ideas, go ahead and just drop those in there. But why don't we caveat into uh, the external, like outside of the enclosure type of enrichments. I, I think that's like what most people think of when they're thinking about enrichment, right? It's not necessarily what you can do in the enclosure, but outside the enclosure, like taking it out. Yeah. So again, thinking back to the recent episode we just had with Lori and just how I've gotten over some of my fears with uh, some of my more touchy animals and that's choice-based handling. So, I mean, when I was going through that initial fear phase, when I was working with the second retic that I got, my first animal was a sweetheart, always easy to deal with. The second one, she's just moody. She had her days where she didn't want to be messed with, or, you know, I was probably approaching the situation wrong, uh, or, you know, just my nerves would get too high while working with the animal, putting us both in just a weird position. So one day I decided, you know, instead of approaching this, you know, trying to assess the situation by just dropping the glass and going right in with a hook and going after the animal, I'm going to sit there. I'm going to wait. I'm going to see how this animal reacts to me just dropping her enclosure open and just waiting to see how she reacts to me. Is she really like uncomfortable with me being in the room with her? No. She didn't really move around. She didn't come out. She wasn't acting moody at all. She was just sitting there looking around, assessing the situation. Right. And I'd get a little bit closer. And, you know, she'd start assessing the situation a little bit more. I'd maybe rub her on the head a little bit with the hook from a distance and just give her some time. And then eventually I got to the point where she's moving around the enclosure. She's starting to look outside the enclosure, trying to climb up. So I start always petting. up. It's always up. Yep. I hate it. When they're going up, I'm pretty, pretty confident that they're focused on going up. Right. So, you know, I was petting her back with the hook and then with my hand and then putting a hand under her and then eventually getting my hands on her and letting her run through really realizing that this animal's not necessarily defensive or scared of the world it just needs some time to assess what's going on thinking her situation changes yeah yeah um i i can't agree more with with that aspect so the 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 power of choice-based handling is you allow your snake to think and decide and make its own choice on what it wants to do it's not being ripped out of the enclosure to to clean um it is, you are giving the animal the opportunity to think. Um, and I can't stress how important that is to a snake as intelligent as a retic. Like, I, I, let me, let me. So 
this is my opinion. This isn't like on a paper scientific. This, this is just my observation of keeping retakes over the last, like, I don't know, five, six years. Retakes have three modes, like brain modes. They have food mode. They have like the fight, flight, or freeze mode, which is basically what we, we, you know, they're, they're defensive or they're AKA flighty. And then they have thinking mode. And, and where you want that retake to be when you are interacting with them is thinking mode. Thinking mode is when their brain is activated, it's engaged, it's aware of its surrounding, and it's assessing, and it's looking, and it's not scared, and it's not like looking for food. And that's where you want your retakes to, to be at, in my opinion. And so there, there's different behavioral cues that you can look for. Like obviously a snake, a, a retake that is uh, in food mode is coming at you uh a a snake that's in that that fight flight or freeze mode is either coiled up in that s shape scared ready to strike out or they're trying to move away as you're getting them out with a hook they're just like yeah i'm sure those of you that have kept retakes and definitely bigger size retakes um you go to you know you tap it with the hook and you go to grab it and it starts moving away and then you're over here dragging the snake out right it's still trying to get away from you choice space handling um from my experience, I've been I've probably been doing it a couple of years now, not not like flawlessly, but my own variation of it. Or probably exclusively just with the size of collection you have. You can't afford to do that 100% of the time. There's no way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I and I, you know what? I took Lori's advice and I did what she said in terms of like, if you have a snake that you need to clean and you open up the door and it doesn't just come out, right? Like leave it open and go do something else, right? So I decided to do that and um, left it open and went to like a rack, like something that I could keep an eye on the snake and it's an easy clean while I'm cleaning a rack. Um, and uh, yeah, the snake never came, never came out. Um, and uh, I, I think that that goes to show that like you know that their their enclosures can definitely be a form of comfort for them. Um, you know, I I recently acquired uh, a wild caught Kalatoa, um, and I asked the previous owner, um, you know, behaviors things like that, and he's like, "No, he's great. He just really like likes to do his own thing." And I was like, "Okay." So he recently just shed, like, you know, with with most of my animals when they shed or. Um, you know, I, I typically take them out. I put them in a tub or I'll soak them and then I, I spot clean and I'll do the cleaning or if I need to do a full cleaning with the Aspen, I do that. And he's like, no, like he's like, um, I would just open the enclosure, see what he does. Um, and uh, if he's not coming out, you know, just spot clean around. And I'm like, okay, I've had a really bad experience with the Wildcott Kalatoa before. Um, yeah, when you just said spot clean around, I was like, oh, oh wait, 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 what, what? Right, with the snake inside, because we typically just remove <laughs> the snake, get the job done, and then put the snake back in. Well, and you, you, you have had snakes ovulating in your garage, too, so it's not just like right. reaching into a male's cage. There's also ovulating females. Right, around, there's so. ovulating, there's cycling females, and so I'm like, <laughs> okay, so I opened the door, I, I, I waited back. I cleaned a, a, a snake that was in the rack and then I looked back and he didn't get off the shelf. And I was like, okay, let me tap him with a hook, tapped him with a hook and literally took out his water bowl, removed the shed, 
spot clean the poop that was on the aspen and just replace with some fresh aspen and put the fresh water back in and i was like this is a wild caught animal and and this animal just let me encroach in on its space and again i think that that right there is a better interaction for that animal as opposed to clearly that animal did not want to come out so forcing him to come out you know I think would have not been a, a good thing to do versus, you know, being able to spot clean. But um, hey, I mean, that's the similar situation with that first breeder male I worked with. I mean, he wasn't enjoyable to work around, but <laughs> I mean, you know, the less hands on you were with him, if you could just clean his enclosure when he went in with the female or, you know, just, double hook them into a tub really fast and just you know make it as quick as possible you know the less hands-on the happier he was so yeah, it right. totally makes sense there's just animals that require you to act a little differently you know and I, I think that that's a good point that you mentioned and hopefully i'm not making too big of a jump with this but when we talk about enriching the lives of our retics we're talking about providing them with stimulation and ways to enhance and improve their life so aside from the stuff that we've talked about and the things that we're going to continue to get into, it's also not having negative interactions. That's that's not enriching. That's not helping them. That's that's making your situation worse for them. So any way that you can make uh, the the experience of of cleaning, removing the snake easier, um, and, and just in a way that that you know hopefully can be more willing from the animal, I think is a form of enrichment even if it's not like the things that we're talking about but just finding a way to make that snake also feel safe and comfortable yeah absolutely i mean uh the phantom tiger male that i bred with this last year he was always a sweetheart and then got to breeding and you know he would show just a tiny bit of that male behavior just you know when i would have to be hands-on with him cleaning out his enclosure He'd start to wrap his tail tighter on me. You know, he'd kind of start doubling that. back on me. He never struck at me, but he just gave me signs that I didn't love. And after <laughs> breeding and stuff, and after, you know, the fe the female had laid, I didn't have any more ovulating females in the room. Uh, I just worked with him with leather gloves on just for my peace of mind. And so I could be a little bit more confident with him. And even that confidence goes a long way and just, you know, oh, that, that yeah, feels safe without a doubt. Being interacted with, yeah. What you know, what when I first got my Slayer, she uh definitely had days where like true potential danger. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, I was like, all right, whatever, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put the gloves on. And I, I noticed that just the gloves on the confidence boost up. And you know, when when our confidence boosts up, it definitely, you know, I feel like they read it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I bet you there's something to do with heart rate as well. Um, you want to hear my theory? Yeah. So I, I've, I've you know, been in the field that I am, you know, not in snakes and, and mental health and, and the way that, that are our mood. So, so when we are anxious, AKA scared, have some fear in us, some worry in us, um, our, our blood rushes to our vital organs. Um, and that means that our extremities, um, you know, signify less heat 
right? So if you think of about like how a snake is sensing its world and they're using their their you know their pits to 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 sense heat around the area, um, when when we are nervous and scared or 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 frightened, our our body temperature changes in different parts. The the heat basically, if you had an infrared of a human who was nervous or anxious or scared. Um, the heat signals would be located in the center of the body, near the heart, the lungs, the stomach, the head, um, and the extremities would probably show colder um, in, in in an image that's reading body temperature. Versus when we're relaxed, we tend to be a little bit more warm, right? And so, if you think about your ability to, to you, when you're introducing yourself to that snake and you're going into the enclosure, um, that that snake is getting a sense of your body temperature. And 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 where that temperature is coming from, and so I, I I genuinely think that snakes have the ability to sense, not not like I, I think their ability to sense if we are nervous is not just like how we are behaving, but also where the heat is distributed in our body. Well, that much for sure. Like we we know that they can they can sense that. So, I mean, I wonder. If, if that has something to do with it, if, you know, heart rate has something to do with it, it'd be interesting to know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what about just, you know, taking our snakes outside of our house? Yeah. Like I said, into that grass and uh, maybe shocking their senses a little bit for the first time. I love watching a retic. Um, I, I've gotten a few adults that you know, I, I've asked owners, have they ever been outside in the grass? And people are like, yeah, no, I've never taken them out. And I love getting to watch that first experience because they, they freak out. But I, I think that, you know, when you, when you take them outside, there's new smells, there's, there's new textures, there is vast openness. Um, and with the supervision of your animal and letting it, you know, be able to move around, such a larger area, like there's probably no better form of enrichment because aside from that, they're getting the natural sun, right? That, that it's debatable whether that's like a good thing or not for like albinos and things like that, like whether they like that or not, but like getting your snake outside into true natural sun and grass and whatever else is in your yard, like I, I don't know that is definitely not, you know, a fact, but I think that that's probably the best form of enrichment that you can do for your animal. I, I think just a little disclaimer too, just in, in case, uh, y- you know, just for my peace of mind, I guess. Uh, but make sure ground temperature is good. Make sure that oh, yeah. the, the environment is what your retic would do. Okay. in. Uh, definitely I've seen my retics even in like 88 degree weather, uh, in the sun search out the, the shade. So even in the temperature range that I'd keep them in, they're uncomfortable. They're trying to cool down. So, you know, just really watch your animal and watch the weather before just taking your animal outside. Also, (laughs) um, Maybe not a worry for everyone, but I love taking my retics outside. Uh, my neighbor, not so much back in the day. Uh, she has since passed on. God bless her soul. 
but when she was alive, I took my animals outside and she was so freaked out by the fact of someone living by her with big snakes that she called animal control on me. So just make sure you're an- <laughs> you know, like your neighbors around you, uh, let them know that there's the potential of that happening if they have the opportunity to see the animal in your yard. Um, just, you know, for the sake you, of you our left animal, the best the part of that rights. story out. Oh, oh, yeah, you're right. This so, lady, this lady went to the extremes to say that he, Nathan had a gator. She said I had a gator swimming in a little, uh, you know, one of those big inflatable pools. Um, no, I, I do have a gator here, but it's uh, preserved in a wet jar. So not you, going you, anywhere. You want to talk about the power of fear, literally seeing stuff that doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, the reports went as far as they're crawling all over my house. I sleep with them. You know, just oh, that's amazing. The, the list goes on. I would have asked for a copy of it, and I'd have it framed. Yeah, uh, she couldn't sleep because of the thought of all the snakes in my house. Like, I was apparently terrorizing this woman for years and had no clue. Right. <laughs> I this this poor woman. She's like, yeah. I'll say anything to get these snakes out of the the neighborhood. Know your neighbors. Be a brown noser. Be polite. You know, just make sure that you're giving these animals a good name because inadvertently you might scare someone to the point of calling the authorities on you. But uh, maybe my favorite part of the story jokes on her. It was uh, my buddy Don Munson who uh, breeds garter snakes, who is the head of animal control here. And he was the one that paid me the visit. Nice. Okay. Well, that, well, that worked out. Yeah, it worked out great. He's probably uh, like, hey, dude, sorry. I know I'm here, but... It pretty much exactly went like that. He's like, listen, man, I talked to her. She's probably seen Anaconda a few times. She's freaked out, but I told her there's nothing to be afraid of. Like they, those, those things aren't even big enough to eat your cat. <laughs> and with my super dwarfs, he's probably right. Right. So I, I feel like outside of like just taking your snake outside, there's also the aspect of like jungle gyms. So again, outside of the enclosure, you can do a jungle gym inside your home if you have the space for it in your garage if you have the space for it, or you can do it outside. One person that I just want to give a shout out to that I think when everyone thinks of like jungle gyms for retakes, pretty sure that anybody in the Superdorf community is thinking of Eric Lee and what he has built for his animals outside. Yeah, there's one other person too, and I'm sure someone in the comments or maybe even you, Lucas, could tell me who this is. Um but those big geometric uh, playhouses or like the climbing domes that you'd see on playgrounds, yeah. uh, someone has that in their reptile room mounted to the ceiling. I oh, think that's super cool. That's pretty cool. I've yeah. never, I have not seen that. Uh, I bet you have. It was on an old video that was uh, circulating. So I, that's pretty damn cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that like jungle gyms again, like, and what I mean by that is, you know, I'll speak to Eric Lee's, his is made out of PVCs, right. For the support, he's put green gardening, plastic fencing on there and, and zip tied them. He has ropes around some of the PVC to add texture. 
Um, it's multi-dimensional, multi-layered, so that they can, you know, be on the top, be in the middle. Um, and, and I mean, what a great idea to be able to just put your snake on there, sit down, and just let the snake do its thing. Um, like, and again, this is you have to think about when you have a snake that lives its life in a box. When when you're able to remove it from that box and allow it to have different textures and area to explore an area to climb um, potentially outside. If you have it outside, like you are just blasting that, that retic with, with dopamine and, and all the feel good um, neurotransmitters. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I, one of the things that it's just so hot here in Texas, like right now in summer, it's been a hundred plus for like six, seven weeks straight. Um, and it would look like I was crying all episode if I was out there, like it's you would just see sweat dripping down my face. It sucks. And it's like that from the months of it's too hot here from the months of May to probably early October. Right. And then you have like a three month window from October to not even like a two month window before it gets a little too cold to have them outside. So it kind of just sucks here. Um, but if, if you live in a place like Nathan said, be, be careful of like going outside and, and the temperatures and you know, I, there's, there's not a single, like I would never take my snakes outside during this time of the year. Like right now. Oh no, no, it's, it's midnight right now it's midnight right now and it's 89 degrees just, you know, disclaimer. So, um, so I have a short window here, but when I do have that window, I take advantage of it, but you know, having a jungle gym in in an area for a snake to just like, you can put it on there and just like sit back and not even have to, you know, you clearly you're supervising, but it's more like semi-supervised because, you know, they, they, Eric Lee was telling me that he has snakes. They'll, they'll crawl around, but then they'll just pick a spot and they'll lay there for, for a while. Yeah. We've, we've seen kind of the same thing with Bob Bledsoe from green room pythons. He has snakes. They'll find their spot and kind of hang out in it. Um, a couple other little things that I wanted to add on, uh, was one reason I added ground temperature being important was, Uh, A lot of people get excited when, you know, we're getting out of winter and getting into spring uh, to start taking their animals outside. Well, the air temperature may be nice and, you know, perfect for them, but the ground temperature still may be quite a few degrees cooler than that. So always and, and vice versa. I mean, you might have a perfect 85 degree day, but depending on where you put that snake, especially if it's like asphalt or something that can absorb the heat a little bit better than grass then that ground temperature is going to be quite a bit higher so yeah just be be aware of that yeah take your temp gun outside yeah um yeah get get to know the the temperatures of of you know the different you know floors and things that you have outside but um yeah like i i even my wood deck that I have outside, I, I will move my snakes off of there as soon as they go there because it's typically a lot hotter than the the floor and the soil. And and I have I have a pretty decent sized backyard 
but I don't have developed trees. So my backyard has zero shade besides under the, the, uh, I don't know, what are they called? House-like structure that doesn't have walls. Uh, anyways. The awning? Uh, no, not even. It's more of a, this is dumb that I can't think of this thing. <laughs> um, not a gazebo, but the, Anyways, it, it has a it has like a ceiling, a roof. Um, it's metal and it's attached to the the stupid freaking deck. I'm pissed that I can't think of the word for it. But anyways, um, I feel like that's just like an awning or deck cover, but we'll, we'll call it good there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like I I also I don't have shade in my backyard, so I'm you know the floor temps are definitely important to to grab. But you mentioned something about Bob Bledsoe. You know, we, we talked about the enrichment of, of, you know, a jungle jib type of thing. But let's talk about like snake proofing a room because well, before before we get into that, the one last thing that I wanted to mention on just uh, jungle gyms uh, was uh, I recently came across zoos that were using. Uh, I don't know if anyone remembers the game Plinko from Price is Right, the game where the little disc falls down and hits the pegs on the wall. But zoos use something similar where it's like a little A-frame and it has some wooden sticks or, you know, little branches that make kind of a Plinko board. And they'll let their reptiles, mostly snake species, uh, climb up through the pegs. And a lot of the time they find, you know, a place to rest. They'll climb for a while, stretch out a little bit. It's just a great little tool you know, that doesn't take up a ton of space, like maybe one of these big PVC jungle gyms that, you know, still can provide a similar level of enrichment. That's pretty damn cool. Um, yeah, yeah, I've never, never even thought of that, but just the idea of even like building it, if you can't find one and you, you build one seems pretty simple if you're handy. Um, and and I'm not even that handy. I could build that in an afternoon and it, I, super limited on space here i i could throw that in my you know my garage storage i could throw that in my closet in the snake room you could probably even mount it on the wall in your snake room yeah yeah same kind of thing and even use it in the snake room yeah i mean you could even use your wall and just literally put just sticks like yeah yeah, i mean we we've seen stuff like that with blake stewart and having a big snake room but I don't think I've seen someone yet that just for like maybe ease of cleaning or like just choice based handling has almost like what you see with the ultra cat lovers where they have, you know, the wall jungle gym for their. Cats. Right. Those are freaking cool. I, I mean, reach out reptiles, I guess, has done that with their live stream room. So I, I, I guess I have seen it once, but, you know, I, I think that's a great idea in terms of just you know, making your room a little bit more snake accessible. Right. And, and I, I think that like that to me is like the ultimate goal, right. To have like a room for the snakes to have all that kind of stuff in it. And then, oh, yeah, I mean, that's a lot of our dreams now, especially seeing some of the rooms that people have created. Right. Um, and I, I think that that caveats into what I was saying as far as snake proofing your room. So, um, we mentioned Bob Bledsoe before. He's a Patreon member, um, and uh, he's got an amazing um, 
podcast and you want to know what I like about his podcast is the fact that like a lot of the information that he is providing is for like, it's very geared towards beginners, but somehow finds a way to still captivate me to watch those videos. Um, I feel like we kind of work towards the same mark. Like we're, we're mostly sharing our experiences, which is geared towards people getting into it. But then again, we have people that have been rocking with us that, you know, have been doing this longer than us combined. Yeah. Um, but if you guys don't know who Bob, uh, Bledsoe is, he, he is, uh, his YouTube is green room pythons. Um, and, and, he has a snake like so he lets his snakes free roam multiple snakes at a time and just snake proofing a room so what that basically means is like making your room safe so that whatever your snake might get into is not going to be harmful for that animal uh and i love that i I love watching the episodes where we're on his channel where he you know, it's just talking and you'll see off into the distance, a snake just climbing and doing its thing. Or he cuts into a scene where a snake is literally just chilling on a shelf in the room or, you know, in a cabinet somewhere. Um, but like that, that to me, um, you know, even during our episode with Lori, like she was in her room and she had stuff on her ceiling and she, you know, having a snake proof room is like, yeah, I, I definitely want to get there someday because there's just so much that you can do in a room for that animal. Move to Florida, keep venomous. They'll they'll make you. <laughs> your your room better damn well be snake proof, or you're not getting your snakes in that room. Right. Um. Oh. Any any like as far as um. Oh, that's so funny. Sorry, a little bit of breaking the third wall here, but sometimes Lucas and I will outline an episode a little bit. And I just, you know, glanced at it. I look at it here and there and just notice that he put something about Bob on there. And I brought him up without even realizing. So there you go. You know, good Fate. minds. Think alike. Yeah. Um, and then just one last thing about like outside enclosure enrichment. And we talked on earlier, but just something that like I'd like to do is, um, you know, my snakes are in my garage now. So I like to bring the snakes into the house where there are more people, you know, louder, loud noises. There's, there's my dogs. Um, and you know, I, I sit on the, the couch with them and just, I mean, all of that stimulation they're getting, it's it's all enrichment wise. And of course you need to watch your snake's body language, see if it's feeling nervous or defensive or, um, I have yet had a snake with my dogs. Um, I have bigger dogs. Um, so don't worry about my dogs. My dogs would absolutely shred my snakes apart if they were mean animals, but I have yet to have a snake react negatively to my, my dogs. Um, you know, my, my, even my cats have come up while I've had a snake in my arms, curiously smelling, and I tend to shoo them away because cats are, uh, menacing and will do bad things. But yeah, my, my cats, I don't trust them. I've walked past them with my snakes. And if it's just like that kind of a quick interaction, it's not ever a bad thing, but you know, I, I feel like if the snakes and the, the cats got to look at each other for long enough, it wouldn't 
wouldn't be good. I it's it's definitely the cats I don't trust. I don't yeah, think any the, of my snakes I, would do Oh, the cats would antagonize it, but you know. Yeah. You know how cats do that little like right? I feel like they would just probably whack just it getting but... closer and, you know, stalking, you know, right. the snake's going to see that as a predatory behavior and, you know, <laughs> react. Yeah. Um so yeah, I mean that that's just something that I like to do as well. Just bring some snakes into now now granted I'm not I'm not, you know, chilling with my my 13 foot Solaire in my my living room. Um, <laughs> no, you're not you're you're not Netflixing and chilling with your uh, Solaire. Yeah, no. No. Um, you know, but but there are some people out there um like at over in the UK that has done that enough to where the snakes pick a spot on the couch and they'll lay or they'll chill on you know him or his daughters in the living room. And so, you know, again, I want to emphasize kind of just like in wrapping up this whole episode is we're talking about enrichment because we, we own animals retakes. We're talking about that. To me, it shouldn't be like a, a, you do or don't. It it should always be on on the forefront of your mind, right. Of, of how to, you know, help that snake enjoy its life because one thing that i've seen um by post on instagram or on facebook is is i hate to see the pictures of a large retic in a naked enclosure sitting on one side and it stays there basically all the time and looks lethargic isn't moving around and it does that most of the day nearly every day and you know, that, that snake is mimicking symptoms of what we would define in humans as depression. Retics are not animals that sit still. If you take a retic out of its cage and you put it on the ground to see if it just sits still, good luck. Like that snake is going. Yeah. And and so if your snake is just sitting in the same spot day in, day out, like your snake is depressed. And we really should be focusing on finding ways to 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 mentally stimulate the animal. I'm not here trying to ride on a high horse and saying that you need to have a snake room to put your snakes to free roam because I don't do that. Like I, I, I wish I could, but I don't. I can yeah, improve there's, my there's enrichment. There's no way I could pull that off right now. Right, but at the end of the day, the reason for this episode and the the stuff that we're sharing is just like mentally stimulating a reticulated python is a must. Even if it's just the stuff inside the enclosure, like it's a it's an absolute must that we have to 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 work on yeah i mean even i feel like walking by their enclosure even if you're not even going in to check on them is a little bit of enrichment with how interactive these animals are they're wild they're they deserve a lot of respect they deserve a lot of work on our end to better their care and to better understand how to just mentally stimulate physically stimulate uh and just you know, provide as good of a life as we possibly can provide for them in captivity. Yeah. So on that note, if you guys have been listening so far, let us know what you think. Drop your comments down below. Um, And if you guys are listening on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, we appreciate that. That's definitely my method of listening to to these type of things. And uh, make sure to rate it, rate it, please rate it. Um, And, and if you guys, um, you know, as we mentioned before, um, I, I challenge you to if you, if you're a part of different Patreons that have discords, um, 
come join the Retake Lounge. You can join as little as five dollars a month, and I, I guarantee you the interactions and the 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 information that you gain on our Discord channel with people from all walks of life having a bunch of experience with retakes, no experience with retakes, other animals that they've had experience with. Um, it, it's well worth it to the point where I engage in it all the time. Um, so I, I, I mean, just engaging for me in the fact of just, you know, that I, I like some pretty niche stuff. Like I'm a huge stand-up comedy nerd. I'm a huge metal nerd. And some of my Patreon members are some of the only people I can talk to about some of that right. kind of stuff. So, you right. know, any any kind of person, we we have your 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 person there, and we have just such a cool community that's come together. So, uh, yeah, thank you for everyone that's in there. Thank you for listening to this episode, and we'll see you next week. See you, everyone.